I like to talk about our doubts. And we've been studying, you know, the book of 1 Corinthians and been grateful enough to follow Pastor James as he's taught us about the love of Christ and helped us to understand what love is according to the Bible, according to God's word. And so <clears throat> we're fortunate that we not only have the clear teaching of 1 Corinthians about love, but we also have the beautiful examples illustrated in the Bible and especially illustrated in the life of Jesus as he's went out. And two weeks ago, Brother Scott was uh, there to teach us and to help us understand and see the story of Simon the Pharisee and how Jesus was invited into the home of Simon. And this very important man uh, had questions for Jesus. And yet, the story we get to see not only Simon and Jesus interacting with Simon, but we get to see this lady who knew what it was to be forgiven and knew what it was to receive the love of Christ. And she came in her gratefulness and she wiped Jesus' feet with her tears and hair um, to show that her understanding of the love of Christ. And we see Jesus' love. And Jesus loved Simon. He loved the Pharisees. And it was because of his love he proclaimed the truth to them. And he was willing to, you know, to receive, see them receive the forgiveness if they were willing to humble themselves. So today we're going to look at two other stories. And we are grateful for our brother, Tibetan, who read these stories to us to hear um, about how Jesus was interacting with people. And people in different ways who have different views and different understandings of who Jesus was, uh, who come to them with questions. And, you know, Jesus is known for asking questions, but you also see stories about people who were coming with questions in their mind, and sometimes people who were coming with questions for Jesus, and sometimes they're like the Pharisees and they're trying to actually trick Jesus. That's something I don't advise. You can see in Scripture how, how he was able to give a good answer and a good response to them. Um, and so, like Simon had some questions for Jesus, uh, a bit hard questions, not hard for Jesus, but hard because maybe we don't uh, understand Jesus, uh, Simon's motives. He had some mixed motives, maybe trying to, to get a different response. And today we have these, these two stories that are recorded that help us to learn a lot about how Jesus views people who come to him sincerely in their doubts and with their questions and with maybe just a little bit of a of a lack of faith. Um, you know, in, by, in, uh, in our churches, we talk about how the importance of having strong faith. We talk the importance of coming to Christ and believing in him and having that faith. But we don't always have that perfect faith. Sometimes we do have struggles. We do have questions and things that we're struggling with. And we'll see this lived out in these, in these stories. And so the first uh, reading was from Mark 9. Uh, and you have this story of this father seeking a healing or a deliverance of his son, uh, the son who was possessed by an evil spirit that tried to kill him. And I appreciate you know, the, the, the horrible details that are in this story. You, know, it, you, it, you, you can't really understand how painful it must have been for this father, unless, I think, unless you've been a father or a mother. You know, to have a child that you love as your child and to know that any minute that child might be a threat of death because, you know, it says even to, to throw himself into the fire for destruction. 
you know, to, to have this child that has this problem, this, you know, this demonic problem, and the father has no idea what to do about it. You know, if you're a, ch if you're a parent and you have a child that has a problem, you'll do whatever you can to try and solve that problem. You know, you go to see whatever specialist of a doctor, you know, you, you give them whatever medicine or whatever good food or whatever, you know, whatever you think would be an effective treatment. You know, whether it is, you know, prayer or, or any kind of, um, you know, medical treatment, you'll do anything to try to see that. And so this father had lived with his son's ailments. He had lived with this situation, and we don't know how for long, but he said he'd had it on and off from the time he was first born. And we don't know how old the child is exactly, but we know that you have this father who's raised this child, and probably every day with this stress of not knowing what will happen with my child. I have to watch him. I have to make sure somebody is looking after him. I have to make sure that this threat against his life will not come. And every day he was living that. And so you see the father in the midst of that background, he comes to Jesus' disciples. He comes to try to find a solution. You know, maybe he's seen many other people to try to find this. You know, the, the, the healers or the doctors at that time. Maybe he's went to the Pharisees. You know, we don't know all the history, but I know if I was a parent, I would have done anything to try to help my child in these circumstances. And so in the midst of this, you see him come to the disciples. And what do we find? We find when Jesus shows up on the screen, you know, shows up to see the, you know, to what's going on on the scene, you see Jesus and he comes and what does he find? He finds his disciples arguing with the Pharisees and the Father and the Son are there. Uh, and so they've come for help and the people who they came to for help are arguing, you know, or having a disagreement about things. And so what does Jesus say? He says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. You know, you think back, think about the most amazing thing that you would say, God did this in my life, or God did this in the life of someone who I love. You know, we've, if you've been a Christian long enough, you've seen God do amazing things, whether it's transformed lives, you know, the healing of the brokenhearted, the saving of sinners, the, you know, the God acting in our lives when we don't deserve it, you know, to see God bring us uh, to faith, to see God act uh, to help us when we have asked for his help. And whatever it is that we've seen in our lives, the disciples have seen far more, right? Because we can read in the Bible the things at this point, you know, when we get to this point in the story, they've already seen Jesus do the miraculous multiple times. They've seen Jesus do things that no one should be able to do, things that only God alone should be able to do. So this rebuke, this, this call of, oh, faithful, faithless generation, I believe it was given not only to the Pharisees, you know, and the teachers of the law who had diverted from God's plan, who had diverted from what God, uh, God's message of hope for the people, but I believe it was also for the, Pharisees, uh, for the disciples to hear. You know, imagine this poor father standing to the side with his son, listening to the followers of God who he came to for help, arguing with each other. What a poor testimony. 
You know, the church today, some churches can come across like this, or the greater universal church can sometimes come across like this. As believers who are followers of Jesus get into public disagreements with each other, public arguments with each other before the world. And you have a lost world, you have a world who's hurting, a world who is looking for answers. And when they look at the church, sometimes this is what they see. They see the church arguing with each other. They see the church, you know, fighting with each other. Now, the theological distinctions are very important. And the truth about God's word versus someone who would teach a false gospel or a, you know, a, a distorted gospel is worth talking about. But that is an in-house conversation. You know, if you're talking with other believers, you know, here in the church, if I have a difference of opinion, you know, if our brother Tibetan says something and I think it's, it's not, not appropriate, you know, should I get on social media and say, this heretic has said this thing, or should I go to my brother and say, what did you mean by that? I'd like to understand. Let's talk about that. Let's look at God's word and let's understand it. You know, if you have and you've seen someone who is teaching something that is wrong or heretical, as a brother in Christ, as a follower of Christ, we have a right to go to that person and talk to them, you know, and to, if necessary, using God's word, bring correction. And yet, when we get into the public forum and we start worrying too much about what is wrong in that person and not who's watching and listening, uh, we do. We give a bad testimony. Uh, about God's word. We give a bad testimony of the church. We give a bad testimony of what it means to follower of God. The world needs to know Jesus. And we are his hands and feet to deliver that message. We are his voice. You know, just as God's word is his voice, we as the church are his voice. And so I think about this father, you know, he's there. Um, we don't know that many details about him, but we do know he wanted help. And I'm sure he couldn't care less about the argument and whatever it was that the Pharisees and the disciples were arguing about. That's not why he came. He didn't come to hear the details of whatever it was the disagreement was. And so Jesus turns to the father when he says, you know, Jesus has said, bring him to me. And, he's, and Jesus says, uh, the, or Jesus is there, and the father cries out to Jesus when he comes before Jesus. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know, that's what the father came from. He, in probably all honesty at that point, having sought help from many, many different people, he didn't know if he would actually receive help, but he at least wanted compassion. He wanted people to see his situation, to see his pain, to understand the difficulty of what was going on in his life and to have that compassion. He wanted Christ's love in a tangible way. You know, something that showed that the people who were there cared for the need and wanted to help. And that's, that's the way we are when we're going through a trial, when we are going through um, a difficulty, when we go through something that's a setback personally, you know, whether it's financial or health uh, or you know, just circumstances of life, we want to not feel alone. You know, we want to have people with us who will stand beside us and will care for us and show us that compassion. You know, we want to receive the blessing of being in a church. And the blessing of being in church is not just singing hymns together 
and studying God's word together. It's having brothers and sisters in Christ who walk beside us through those trials and those doubts, who come to us in our moment of need and moment of compassion uh, to help. And we are to be here for one another, to support one another in times of good and bad with empathy and care, even when we can't fix the problem. Because sometimes problems don't have solutions. Sometimes there isn't an easy solution where we can just fix something. And yet, the church is there for people even when the solution is not there, you know, even when there's not a tangible physical solution to the problem. And that's part of what the Father came. Of course, he hoped that there would be a healing, that there would be some solution, but he was coming for compassion. And the disciples, you know, they couldn't fix the problem. Whatever, whatever reason, we don't know the details. We'll see a little later what they say, but um, they were unable to solve the problem with the child. Uh, but maybe the bigger problem is they missed the human situation. They missed what was going on and they missed seeing the pain of that father. They missed understanding the pain that he was feeling. So Jesus responds to the father. He makes it very clear. He says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Now we know who Jesus is. We, are, we have the benefit of history and of having the whole totality of God's word to not only study God's word, but also to study, and we can read many commentaries and many things that people have said about it. And so in our place in history, we look back with a wealth of information, of understanding of this. That father was not like that. You know, he, he did not have the, the unlimited understanding of who Jesus was and his, uh, you know, Jesus, because Jesus was completely unlimited in his ability to help, but the father didn't know that. You know, in our lives, all your life, uh, if you're a believer, if you've been in church, if you've read God's word, you've probably been told things, you know, like God is all powerful. God is all knowing. You know, we've been studying about the love of God, the limitless love of God. But sometimes, in spite of hearing all those things, maybe having the head knowledge of all those things, we're in situations where things seem beyond that, you know, that in our, in our humanness, in our frailty, as we acknowledge it, uh, things seem so bad that we have trouble praying about it. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but I think you probably are, that you've been in that situation where it's, it's difficult to bring in faith uh, your pain and your difficulty to the Father. And you do have sometimes doubt, and sometimes your doubts can seem bigger than your faith. And I think that's where the father was in this moment. And I think that's what the father led him to utter this famous statement where he says, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, it seems a contra contradictory statement in some ways, you know, to say, I believe, but help my unbelief. But I think this is one of those very, very true statements that God allowed us to read in his word to help us understand what it means to be human and to have faith to what it means to be a created, frail creature of dust and to have that faith, you know, to be a believer and a follower of Christ and to sometimes struggle. Because if you're a follower of Christ, you believe, right? That's what it means to be a Christian. The confession of a Christian is that we believe what Jesus has done for us. We believe the truth of our salvation. Uh, we are not saved because of 
our faith. We're saved because of what Jesus did. And as believers, as followers of Christ, we are believing in the most miraculous event in history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the salvation that it provides for our sins. That's what it means to be a Christian. We are forgiven and free because of that. And yet, sometimes in life, we don't believe. You know, sometimes it's not that we have thrown away our faith, that we've given up on our faith, and we have turned our back on Christ and don't believe anything. It just means that sometimes we honestly question whether God is really who he says he is. You know, sometimes we wonder, does he really love us enough for us to trust him in this specific situation? And I think that's that statement in a nutshell. I believe, help me in my unbelief. Because sometimes that's where we all are. We have a little bit of a struggle. We have a little bit of a doubt. And Jesus does not condemn this father. That statement about a faithless generation, I fully believe, was not for the father who had come in that time. It was the faith that brought him to Jesus. He had the faith to come and seek out help, to look for Jesus. He had faith and he had hope, but he also had desperation, willing to try anything, willing to try and find a solution, any solution he could for that. And Jesus doesn't condemn him for his lack of faith here. Jesus only acts. We see Jesus act to release the son from the bondage and to give the son back to his father. And that at long last, after many, many years of trying to find a solution to this problem, that despite the father's struggling faith or you know, imperfect faith, shall we say, God chose to answer this prayer and end the suffering of the father and his son. And this is one of the stories in the Bible that I think if mankind was writing the Bible, they wouldn't quite write it this way, right? They, they would want it to be cleaner. They would want it to be more perfect. You wouldn't want to show the disciples as so messed up and, and, and arguing in the circumstances. You know, by tradition, it's believed that this gospel was written by Mark from Peter's narration, that Peter was giving, you know, one of the key sources of giving the information to Mark uh, for, this, for this gospel. And you, can you imagine Peter choosing to tell this story? You know, here's how he might have told the story. Oh, yeah, we were, we were arguing with the Pharisees right in front of the father and son who came for help. You know, that's not the way we want to tell the story. You know, we, we love to tell stories about the good things that we've done, the, the, you know, the, ni- the times when we were faithful, the times when we were true, then we stood up and we did the right thing. Well, this is a time when Peter and the disciples didn't do the right thing. You know, they weren't uh, faithful. They didn't do what you would like for them to have done if the story was to come off the right way. And unlike many other stories in the scripture, the Bible doesn't tell us the father's response. We can assume the father was very grateful. We can assume that he was thankful for Christ. But in some parts of the story, you know, in some stories, we have the story like we had two weeks ago, where the woman who had been forgiven her sins expressed her gratefulness in a way that probably would have made us uncomfortable. You know, can imagine if you had done something to help somebody and they came and they were at your feet crying and wiping your, your feet with their, their tears and their hair. Uh, that sounds very uncomfortable. You know, I think even in that culture, that was something that, you know, in our culture, it, it, it's unbelievable. But it, in that culture, it would have been uncomfortable. 
And yet, that uh, God in his wisdom left that story in the scriptures for us to understand and be able to see that woman's gratefulness for the love of Christ and what he had done for her. And we see other times, you know, stories to help us understand uh, the way that people respond. We have the story of the lepers who were healed and the, the one, you know, who returned and, and expressed their gratefulness. But here in this story, we don't, we don't have the father's response. The Bible doesn't choose to record it for us. We just don't know exactly what happened. And so if I was a man writing the story, I would have wanted to know. I'd wanted to see that. And yet God in his wisdom, he chose not to let us see that response. And I think that was intentional because this story is about Jesus. The story is so that we might learn who Jesus is and to see who he is when someone who comes to him is struggling and needs help and maybe their faith isn't perfect but they know at least somewhat who Jesus is and they know he's the one that they needed to go to. And this passage shows us Jesus. It shows his, his compassion for sinners. It shows us his compassion for those who struggle with doubt, who sometimes have their doubts. Um, you know, we're told this story before Jesus, knowing that you know, many of times maybe it would be right for us to, to pray that same prayer, the, you know, to say the same thing that the Father said, I believe, help my unbelief. To pray that and to come to Christ, to come to God with our doubts. Later, we see the disciples in this passage ask Jesus, and Jesus responds, this kind can only be driven out by anything but prayer. D do you think the disciples didn't pray? You know, do you think... Uh, you know, we don't, we don't know ex explicitly, but I can't, you know, imagine that someone come. That's what Jesus modeled, right? You know, Jesus modeled in his healing, uh, even in the passage, we'll, you know, with Lazarus, uh, Jesus prayed publicly for Lazarus' resurrection. And we see Jesus doing that. And so we can imagine that, you know, surely the disciples, they had prayed. You know, surely they tried to imitate the things they had seen Jesus do. And yet they missed practicing what they had seen Jesus do in offering up his affection and his compassion. Um, like in the story of, you know, the leper, and Jesus reached out and touched the leper. He touched that which would have made anyone unclean under their cultural rules. Um, and yet Jesus showed compassion on him. And so I, you know, I think we should give the, the disciples the benefit of the doubt that they were not completely without compassion for this boy. I believe that they would have wanted him to be healed. You know, uh, who, who would not in their, in their moment uh, of that opportunity for ministry have seen the pain of this family and wanted to be healed? But it's something different you know, to, to be on a, an abstract outside of a need. You know, when you're... When you're hearing about somebody's need who you don't know, of course you can hear the, the sad story um, and you can want the best for the people and you can pray genuinely for the people. But that's not where the father was at. You know, the father came and he needed this to be true. He needed Jesus to be who he thought he might be. Um, he would have given him anything to see Jesus heal his son. You know, he came to Jesus probably at a moment without hope, and yet he had just enough hope to believe maybe 
the things I've heard about Jesus are true. Maybe it's real. Maybe it's true. You know, he believed, but he didn't believe. And yet he really, he needed to believe that it could be true. He needed to believe that everything he had heard about Jesus was true. And the Father's prayer was an honest prayer before God, expressed out of the despair that he felt in the situation. And God is a loving and compassionate God. God is a God who understands our struggles. God is a God who wants honest prayers from us. He wants us to be real before him. It is right and true to pray to God and confess our doubts, just as his father did, and to ask for help with them. You know, God already knows our doubts. Do you doubt that? (laughs) What do we know about God? Is God powerful enough to understand and know what is going on inside your head? And so if you have a doubt about God's power, if you have a doubt about God being able to help you in a situation, what is to be lost by acknowledging that doubt before God and coming to him in prayer? The Psalms are filled with expressions of sorrow and pain and doubt where the writers came to God and they prayed to God and they asked God for help just like this father did, help in the moments of unbelief and the moments of struggle. So our next passage is one of the most famous uh, in the New Testament. Um, Some people have cited this as the moment that determined Jesus' humanly faith or his earthly faith. You know, if if you read throughout the scriptures, you see times where the disciples are pushing Jesus do this, do that. You know, we'd like to see you, Jesus, kind of go on a more prominent platform. We, you know, we should do this, we should do that. You know, telling Jesus what he should do. And you, you may have recalled reading that um, when Jesus would say, my time has not yet come. Uh, you know, Jesus was on a timetable that was God's timetable. And Jesus knew the timetable. The disciples didn't, many of the others didn't. Um, but one of the things that would move Jesus towards the crucifixion was this event. Uh, and a lot of the biblical historians and commentators, as they're reading about the, les- you know, the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, it was a very public event. It was an event um, through which the, the, the Pharisees would end up demanding a response because no one, the testimony of Lazarus' resurrection went far and wide. And many, many people when upon hearing about it, uh, would believe and follow him. So we know a few things from the story about this situation. I chose just a selection of passages I you know, had to button in before we actually got to the big event where Jesus uh, called Lazarus forth from the grave. You know, We know from the Bible that Jesus loved Lazarus, that he loved his two sisters, Mary and Martha. We know from the narrative here in this passage in John that Jesus received word early about Lazarus' illness. He knew that Lazarus was very ill. And yet we know from the Bible that Jesus chose to stay where he was. He chose to wait. He chose to let Lazarus die. 
And it's, a, it's, a, it's another one of these things that we, 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 uh, we can have a question about that. You know, you know why wouldn't Jesus, he lo- we know he loved Lazarus. We know he loved this family. Why wouldn't he immediately rush off? And Jesus tells us, you know, for the glory of God. So when he finally arrives, Lazarus is dead. And he's not just dead. He's been in the tomb for several days. You know, we have stories in Scripture where Jesus has raised other people from the dead. You know, this is not the lone event where Jesus has raised someone from the dead. But this is a little bit different because of the length of time in which Jesus and Lazarus had been in the tomb. Because there was a belief during that time that the soul would depart on a timely manner from the body. Uh, that they would know for sure that someone was dead and not coming back after a certain time. And Lazarus was past that expiration date. They knew Lazarus was dead. And so when he finally arrives, Martha is honest with her opinion. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But he know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And I, I find this statement a little similar to the father's. You know, Martha has great faith. You know, to make a statement like that, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's not like my mother might not have died. She states authoritatively, I believe if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. And it's not a statement of blame. It's a statement of fact. She believes that's true. And then she has the, the previsio. I, I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. That's kind of the limit of her faith. You know, she's not sure she can ask for what she really wants. It seems too big, too much. You know, does Jesus' power really extend into the grave where this man has been dead? Her brother, who she loved, had been dead for several days. Does Jesus' power extend that far? She hopes with all her faith that it might be true. You know, would Jesus again do the miraculous, the impossible? Would he answer her prayer? And Jesus assures her he is the resurrection and the life, but she still doubts. Now, when Mary comes after Martha has called her, uh, Mary uh, says a similar statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But Mary can't go on. She breaks down into tears, weeping, grieving over the loss of her brother. And Jesus sees her tears, and it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And later on, in the, in the shortest verse of the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. And those around him would remark, see how he loved him. Meaning, see how Jesus loved Lazarus. It was well known, the love that Jesus had for this family. They were friends. They weren't just his followers. They were his beloved. And Jesus knew what would happen next, right? Do we doubt that Jesus knew he was about to raise him from the dead? Do we doubt that Jesus knew when he refused to come, when he stayed where he was and didn't come, that that would lead to this situation, to this time when his friend would be dead in the grave and he would be there with these ladies that he loved, experiencing their grief and sharing their grief with them, knowing that. So we know what comes next. We didn't read it today, but... That's not the part of the story I want to you know, spend our time talking about. We know, but we know what happens next. Jesus has the stone rolled away. And despite Martha's concern over the smell, 
exactly what happens as Jesus wants, that Jesus does it. He does the impossible. He lifts up his hands. He prays to the Father above, not because a silent prayer wouldn't be heard, but because he needed for everybody to hear his prayer. He wanted everyone to hear his prayer and believe that as he commanded the dead man to get up and come walking out of the tomb, it was for the benefit of all those there, and it was for the benefit of us to today that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, Lazarus dies eventually, right? We know from history, not from the Lord, uh, from the word, but we, we can find the history of Lazarus eventually continuing in his following of the Lord and then eventually passing from this earth into heaven. Everyone's face has its limits, but God knows no limits. You know, this is the God we know and we come to know more and more. When you first come to faith, you know, the Bible describes us as having a childlike faith. It seems like a simple faith that we might believe um, in who God is and what it, what it is and who he is and who he says it would be. Um, sometimes that faith might be a little more pure. It might be a little stronger. But as time goes on, we, we're to grow in our faith. We're to grow in our understanding of who God is. We're to grow in knowing him and understanding what it is. And a part of that growth is coming to God in our doubts, coming to God when we struggle. You know, not putting on our best suit and our best face and pretending like it's all okay. Because sometimes it's not okay, we, we're, we're humans. We have pain, we have suffering, we feel it deeply. We know what it is to hurt. We know what it is to be disappointed. And God does not, uh, you know, want us to hide that away. He would have us come to him, to bring it to him. And that is how our faith grows. Our faith grows bit by bit. We go to God in faith and unbelief, sometimes unbelief. And we go to this, the faithful God. We see him to be faithful. We see his love for us, even in those moments when the outcome is not what we would desire. Even when in this earth, in this sinful earth, this, this earth where things are fallen and things are not as God has created them to be, we see our disappointment, we see our suffering. And so we should pray for God, pray to God, and pray and ask for him to help us in our unbelief, in our doubts, in our suffering. We should learn to trust in the Father's love and compassion. You know, we should learn to walk with him through the darkness and into the storm. God is faithful. The Bible says that he does not give us more than we can bear. This is a promise of God. It doesn't say that in your human strength, you will have more, not have more than you can bear. We won't have more than we can bear because as a follower of God, we have access to the limitless love of God, the limitless power of God. We can come to him. We can give him our pain. We can give him our suffering and our doubts. These are the promises of God. We see it in his word as we follow him and as we see it lived out in our lives and experiences. And God loves you in your times of doubt. When you are unsure, when you are uncertain, when you're not sure how to pray, God loves you. He loves you with your questions. We don't have to be ashamed when we have those moments. We don't have to hide our struggles, 
our lack of faith. These stories are here to illustrate that God, in our moments where our belief is sometimes a little bit lacking, we can come to him and we can give those to him. We can give and pray to him and bring them and be ready to receive his loving response. And just as Jesus reached out in his compassion to this desperate father, and just as Jesus wept real tears in grief for these ladies who he loved, who were experiencing that grief, we can go and take these things. He desires to know your doubts. He desires to know your questions. He desires for you to bring your heartbrokenness and your grief to him. As both man and God, Jesus understands them far more than we can ourselves. Jesus felt true grief, seeing the grief of his friends. That's the, the beauty of God allowing, you know, Jesus was here on this earth as fully man and fully God. He knows the, the emotions that we feel. He knows the pains that we feel. It's a beautiful expression of the Father's love for us. And so what I want you to take away from today is to know that there will be a time in your life when you struggle, when your faith experiences some cracks, when you experience some doubts. And sometimes the temptation is to think, well, if I'm a, if I'm a true Christian, I should never doubt God. I should never struggle in this way. But the Bible's full of examples like these of people who do, are struggling, who are experiencing struggles um, and questions. And the Bible is very, very clear that in those moments we should bring them to him. And so you have a God who loves you even in your doubts. You have a church that is here to support you when you doubt and when you struggle. And when we have those moments, um, that should be the model of the church for us to be there for one another and us to point the way towards God's word and toward a father who loves us and forgives us um, and why we were yet sinners died for us. And that's the beauty of, of what it means to be a follower of Christ, um, to serve and love and follow a God who understands who you are at the full uh, humanness of who you are and walking in this earth and still loves you. What a wonderful and beautiful thing. Let's pray together. God, we are uh, incredibly grateful um, that we serve a God who understands us. Um, that just as you know, we walk this earth, Jesus was on this earth, fully human. He experienced real pain. He experienced real suffering. He experienced loss and grief. And so when we come to the God of the universe to pray, to lift our prayers up to Christ, uh, to have him as our you know, advocate, it says, as we studied last year, that Jesus prays for us. We have a sovereign God of the universe who rules all, who created all, who rules and, and reigns over this world who is, is able to understand our pain, is able to understand our suffering and our doubts. 
what a beautiful and wonderful thing. And so we, we pray that all who, who call them say, themselves followers of Christ would go out understanding the know that we have that kind of Father who loves us and walks beside us. And if there are those here who do not know this wonderful God that we have proclaimed and talked about today, that they only have to come and admit their need and, and that God is waiting to help them walk into his kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I ask the, invite the choir to come to leave us in our final hymn.